another episode of Real Relatable. I am your host, Donna Green, here for another episode of the podcast Branch Off series dubbed Now We Know, here with my wonderful counterpart, Jonathan Stokes. Hey, Jonathan. How are you doing? How good. are you doing? I'm good. <laughs> good. Say it loud. Right. We black and we proud. That's right. <laughs> How's it over in Idaho right now? Very Idaho. Very, <laughs> What else is there to be? I mean, you know, we had the inauguration, which I think all of us thought all hell was going to break loose, but thankfully it didn't. Um, It just, you know, I think we were all on pins and needles and I'm glad that we were wrong. Oh my goodness. I, it was, I was working while that was happening, which felt Mm -hmm. um, wrong a little bit. Um, But of course, you know, you run down to the TV and you get a chance to watch history happen mm-hmm. as all this beautiful, mostly beautiful ceremony. We'll talk about Jennifer Lopez a different time. But <laughs> it was a beautiful ceremony. <laughs> it was historic and it was lovely that nothing went wrong. I right. will say the stairs that they were walking down um, as they were coming out to be, you know, acknowledged by everyone. I felt like... Um, especially Dr. Jill Biden, those heels on those stairs, I was like, this is, this is the problem. <laughs> we don't need to worry about proud boys. They need to be on an elevator, an escalator at least, please. But it was they, beautiful. It did inauguration all wrong for the right. <laughs> That's funny. It was awesome. It was awesome to see. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. So here we are welcoming in Black History Month again with uh, the Now We Know series. We are unpacking and uh, to relearn and unlearn and do all the things with our Black history. And so in celebration of Black History Month, one of my favorite slogans or, you know, as I've seen on social media, I don't know if you've seen this, but I would like to start uh, this episode with this. I'm Black, but this month I'm Blacky Black. Okay. And- <laughs> I love that. They're selling t-shirts and hoodies and I need to get me one <laughs> to commemorate this month. So Black History Month, we'll give everybody a little bit of a background here. This is from African American from AfricanAmericanHistoryMonth.gov. As a Harvard-trained historian, Carter G. Woodson, like W.E.D. Du Bois before him, believed that truth could not be denied and that the reason would prevail over prejudice. His hopes is to raise awareness of African-American contributions to civilization um, was was realized when he and the organization he founded, the Association of the Study of the Negro Life and History, conceived and announced Negro History Week in 1925. The event was first celebrated during a week in February 1926 that encompassed the birthdays of both Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. The response was overwhelming. Black history clubs sprang up. Teachers demanded materials to instruct their pupils. And progressive whites, not simply white scholars and philanthropists, stepped forward to endorse the effort. By the time of Woodson's death in 1950, Negro History Week had become a central part of African-American life and substantial progress had been made in bringing more Americans to appreciate the celebration. The celebration was expanded to a month in 1976, the nation's bicentennial. President Gerald R. Ford urged Americans to seize opportunity to author to honor the two often neglected accomplishments of Black Americans in every area of endeavor throughout history. That year, 50 years after the first celebration, the association held the first African American History Month. How cool is that? Like, I didn't uh, totally know how far back it went. Did you know that? I didn't know anything about it. So it's been really interesting to, to hear how, well, honestly, <laughs> it's been interesting to hear how long it took for it to become 
nationally recognized mm -hmm. and also just hear the origins of it because it kind of feels like Black History Month was acquired almost sneakily. Um, so Carter Woodson, you know, his parents, uh, they were slaves, former slaves rather. He was born in 1875 mm -hmm. and they were, he was born in Virginia and they moved to West Virginia specifically because schools for black children were being built and they wanted to give their child an opportunity to have formal education because if you didn't know, black people weren't allowed to learn. And so okay. <laughs> like Carter took advantage of that real hard to the point where he has where you said he went to Harvard. He he had three degrees, I believe it was, and he started teaching black kids. And it's just so interesting that the only way for us to have known our history are people like Carter to have kind of snuck around and found ways to learn about our history. Otherwise it would have been completely different. We wouldn't know about our origins, like back mm -hmm. to Africa, and wouldn't really know all the details of how we came to America and things like that if it hadn't been for people who were just curious enough to look it up and share. Definitely. Well, it's, you know, if you go back to the enslavement period, it was illegal for slaves to learn how to read or to write and, you know, all those sorts of things. So it was, you know, part of the system of, no, you're never going to know anything other than what is told to you. Right. I was going to say, I wonder what it was like when people started catching wind, specifically non-Black people started catching wind that Black people were secretly learning how to read and write. And when those moments would uh, come up, what was that interaction like? Like if you caught your your housekeeper reading something, she knows something, you know what I mean? Like how, where'd right. you learn that? Who's doing this, you know? I think they'd be up in arms, I can imagine, right? Yeah. And I'm not sure about this, so I'm definitely talking out of just hypothesis here, but I'm guessing a lot of the education, or at least what I've learned, was that a lot of the reading skills and the writing skills were kind of being taught through church because that was kind of something that, that people could have on their own. And they had Bibles and they were provided by white people, so it was approved literature. But beyond song, there's also you know, other things you have to read in order to understand what you're going through. So I want to say that's probably where a lot of a lot of our skills of documenting our history and things came from, sneakily learning how to read and write. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I have no doubt that's exactly how it happened. But then also, um, you know, we, so we both attended the... Um, or Angela Davis, there's an event put on in Idaho, uh, well, supposed to be in Idaho at Boise State University, and um, welcoming Angela, Angela Davis to speak um, in honor of um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And so a week and a half before um, before the event, BSU canceled it. Um, they were concerned, quote unquote, about the safety and the current um environment they said whether that's like oh it's corona or oh no like racial tensions are heightened here whatever you know i think it's probably the latter but the event was canceled and so there are some incredible incredible organizers here in idaho um, that managed to uh, fundraise throughout the community and uh, be able to pay the speaker fee for angela to still join us um, virtually of course and so a lot of what they were speaking about was the storytelling so just like what you mentioned you know having those sort of auditory ways of um of 
uh, of relaying messages or, you know, recounting history. It's, it's part of that as a storytelling from what I gathered. And um, it's a beautiful way to, you know, have people to pass along um, what we're not going to learn from someone else. So it was, you know, it was really cool. Yeah, it was an interesting event for sure. Um, mm -hmm. That group of, of people that organized it just felt so, I, I say this, I guess, about a lot of our organizers, our young organizers today, but it's amazing to see someone who's so passionate. It's just like you're, mm -hmm. they have no choice but to be this person mm -hmm. that is talking to Angela Davis. They have no choice but to share the history because it's just in their blood. It's just in them. It's to like a calling. Be that. It's a calling. It's, absolutely. Yeah. It's who they yeah. are supposed to be. I, and yeah, and I, I definitely admire them for being able to um, community organize and really like get the funds raised. You know, I donated myself to um, uh, to that cause because I'm like, I want to attend this event virtually. And um, it's really important for me to just continue to learn and hear from more of like the experts. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, we're learning what we need to unlearn and, you know, approaching life differently. The one of the beautiful things that they mentioned, um, Ty Simpson, she is a Native American, I believe she's from the Nez Perce um, reservation in Idaho. <clears throat> and um, she is a storyteller and, you know, um, a Native storyteller. And so she mentioned that uh, one of the ways that um, they refer to storytelling is like um, you have this beautiful river, right? And it's, you know, you have it flowing and there are people that have been down the river already. And so from down the river, you know, what can they tell to the people up the river who are going to go along that journey? And oh so isn't that beautiful? That's powerful. Yeah. And so, um, you know, her question to Angela Davis was, you know, as her being up the river or down the river, I guess it's, I'm, I feel like I'm butchering that part, but up the river <laughs> down, you know, ahead in the river path, Right. I should say, um, what would you tell the people who are, you know, going to come along that journey who are meant to be in that space? And um, it was just beautiful how she worded it and the response from Angela Davis in um, keep doing what you're doing, you know, yeah. um, absolutely keep doing what you're doing. And I, I thought it was amazing. Yeah, I, I love that visual that they gave. Mm -hmm. And also, I love the concept that we are simply doing what we do. Even you and I are doing what we do so that the next person who just may not have access to another Black person to talk about Black things with right. can have somebody to listen to and be like, it's okay. Like, we're learning about this <laughs> with you. Like, right. we are also just now getting on this river, you know? Exactly. And this is our, you know, the best to our ability, right? Like, we're not... Yeah. experts by any means this is to the the best of our ability and again we're learning along this journey as well and for those of you who don't know who angela davis is um her full name is angela yvonne davis she was born on january 26 1944 in birmingham alabama she's a militant black activist who gained an international reputation during her imprisonment and trial on conspiracy charges from 1970 to 1972. Um, she's a daughter of alabama school teachers she studied at home and abroad before becoming 
becoming a doctoral candidate at the University of California in San Diego under the Marxist professor Herbert Marcuse. Because of her political opinions and despite an excellent record as an instructor at the university's Los Angeles campus, the California Board of Regents in 1970 refused to renew her appointment as lecturer in philosophy. In 1991, however, Davis became a professor in the field of history and consciousness at the University of California, Santa Cruz. In 1995, amid much controversy, she was appointed a presidential chair. She became professor emerita in 2008. And so, um, you know, she championed a lot and this is coming from Britannica.com. You know, she's a big name um, in the movement and, and has done a lot, but she's definitely got a lot of slack for, for the way that she's done things. Yeah, I, I think that also my, my understanding of Angela Davis probably didn't come from other Black people when I was younger. Mm. I think, I'm pretty sure the first images I saw of Angela Davis were her behind the bulletproof glass. I'm sure you've seen that photo of her. Um, she's standing at a podium. I cannot remember where. I want to say it was Madison Square Garden, though. Um, but there's a picture of her just talking, you know, mm -hmm. and she has to be behind this bulletproof glass, and it just mm -hmm. felt very dangerous. And mm -hmm. I guess seeing that image at a young age made me understand or I guess it was presented in a way to say this lady is dangerous and people want to hurt them. Mm -hmm. But the way I understood it was <laughs> the only thing protecting this lady is bulletproof class. Like right. she's just a lady standing up there and she, you know, it was, it was so interesting to think back when I was watching her speak with these young people um, for her Facebook talk, you know, um, to think she's had so much, so many years of being denied by institutions, being denied right. her safety, being denied her, you know, she's fully qualified for roles and and accolades, and then just being pushed to the side because people are afraid of what she has to experience on her own, standing bare or maybe behind bulletproof glass. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting. And I love what she said, too. There is a mention of um, being radical. Yeah, at first earshot, I think a lot of us hear radical and think like extreme or just a lot and like super intense and which it could be. But if you look at the actual definition, it's interesting sort of revelation and in the way of like, yes, she is radical, but by definition, it means relating to or affecting the fundamental nature of something, far-reaching or thorough. And we're radical because the fundamental system that has been set up and built upon our backs is we have to unpack that because fundamentally, that's the issue. So we're radical right. in trying to and not trying in dismantling um, systemic racism and how it was built and um, in the ways that it continues now. So yes, we are, we are radical in that definition of unpacking it all and right. starting from the beginning. Did her definition or that definition of radical change how you feel about how you are in the scheme of being radical or going with the status quo? Like, have you ever been on that needle going up and down on how you feel about yourself? And did that change anything? You know, I never considered myself to be radical, but I, I think it's one of those things where you don't have a word for it. Um, you're just doing something and then it happens to fit a definition of something else. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So yeah. would I consider myself radical? No. Um, to this definition, sure. Like I well, maybe not even because I'm 
I'm still learning from the people who are in that space um, of like going to state legislatures and like being radical in that way of like, hold on, like we need bills and things passed and stuff like that. So I support what they're doing, but I am not the one doing it in that same kind Mm -hmm. of way. So I support the radicalization or radicalism of it, but I'm not doing that myself, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I suppose. I also think maybe based on that definition, just thinking that the way things are should be different is by definition radical. So I feel the way like things we, are should be different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just thinking that way makes you radical. And I think that the way that I was taught being radical, um, what being radical was, was really violent. It was protesting. It was uh, well, rioting, it, you know, it was, it was something that puts you in harm's way when really, if you think about the people who have been put in harm's way back to Angela Davis standing behind her, you know, bulletproof glass, she simply was using her education and her voice through the Black Panthers and honestly kind of celebrity through, um, you know, being, being suspected of, I think it was kidnapping and murder. Something mm-hmm. along those. It was something. Oh, it a lot was. of scary stuff. Yeah, it was. But she she used that platform just to say the things that people in their regular suburban homes by then were thinking. Like maybe black people should be allowed to, you know, sit in front of the bus without you know conversation about it. Maybe black kids should be able to have the same education as other children in the United States because they are children of the United States. Like when you put it behind bulletproof glass, it sounds crazy, it sounds radical, but the idea itself in, in the finest of settings is still radical. Like these things shouldn't be happening. Right. It should change. Radical, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, my think. mind went to like, rad dude, you know, like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but again, it's like another form of the definition or, you know, another way to use the word, I should say. Yeah, it's, I, I feel like the word has been used in so many ways. In my, like, I, me being from PWIs, like my grade school being very Reagan, like, just say no program, sex education is abstinence, and Black people will talk about you for 28 days or so. Mm. And, you know, so or like, so. And if like you're lucky, maybe. if it's a leap year, you'll get 29. <laughs> right. And, it's, and that was where I come from. So when I talk about things like Radical or the Black Panthers, keep in mind, I'm being taught by people who really were supportive of Reagan and like in that mindset. Like that's how I was first delivered the information. And then, of course, there's the learning at home. But at a certain point, yeah, listen, to your mom and your aunt, you know? It's like, I'm too smart. What are you talking about? This is what I learned in school. So then you have to deal with all the flipping of the ideas over time and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And radical changes definition. For sure. Have um, When you mentioned going to a PWI, I mean, I went to 
two. So I started my first two years at Kent State University, and then I went over to the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. And so um, these are, you know, that's a PWI. Uh, and for those who don't know, a PWI is a predominantly white institution. So we're talking about colleges and universities. And, um, you know, my favorite app, Clubhouse. So there are a lot of people <laughs> who talk about um, going to HBCUs. And I'm like, man, it just sounds so incredible. And I feel like I missed out. Do you oh get that God. feeling? I, I I missed out on a lot of stuff. So I never went to a four-year university. Like when I turned 18, it was my understanding, you're going to work to live. And mm. college is a, a great thing if you happen to fall on $40,000, you know, and can, can spend that. Um, mm. I was not lucky enough to be able to do that. So mm. my education came through media a lot of media and a lot of getting to know people and mm -hmm. just showing up to those conversations, ready to learn and unlearn stuff that I know I was taught by fools. When I when the Just Say No program was what I was going through, like, hey, if you're presented with drugs, just say no, you'll be all right. It's like, you're telling me that all these people that are dealing with <laughs> crack cocaine addictions and heroin addictions, all they had to do was say no and they would have been fine. Like you're telling me, you're not gonna tell us about the disease of addiction. Mm -hmm. You're not gonna tell us about safe ways to have sex. You definitely aren't telling me about the real black history and what it's like to be a black person because you only need to think about black people for 28 days and you only really have to tell it to the five black kids in your class. And they're right. gonna be distracted anyway. You know? you know how awkward it was in school where you get to black history month and they, you know, they go over the main people. So it's like, Martin Luther King Jr., um, Rosa Parks, Ruby Bridges. She, you know, broke down some walls with the predominantly mm -hmm. white, um, not just predominantly white only schools. And you have all these people that are just regurgitated every single year without focus on like new people. Mm -hmm. When you said also the, you thought that we live to work, that's mm -hmm. such it's such a view in this white supremacist sense, you know, and you have to realize like, no, I'm not just living to work. That's, you know, back on the plantation days. I'm not just living to work. I want to work so I can live. Right. Yes. And um, being able to understand what that means and having not a work life balance. I think it needs to be harmony. Like, I don't want to spend eight hours working and then eight hours doing this and eight hours doing that. No, I want it to be like, okay, I'm going to, you know, put this much into work and get my stuff done. But maybe that's six hours sometimes. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. you know, but, you know, I went hard in that time. Or maybe, you know, maybe it's like six hours this day and it's 10 the next, or, you know, whatever it is. Like, I want it to be harmonious um, yeah. and not like totally in this sort of balanced scale of how I'm working and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if that if that's really a common idea amongst black households, air quotes there, because in my experience, it's been you get a good job, you keep that good job and you support your family however you can. Mm -hmm. You know that this um, education is pleasurable work can be pleasurable idea has is new to me and mm -hmm. I, I don't know where it came from, but I'm glad I got it. Honestly, like I'm glad I got that hooked into my brain, but that wasn't how I how I grew up, and that wasn't I don't think how any of my previous uh, ancestors grew up 
either. And it's because of slavery, because of this idea that it's survival. You know, it's not really living, it's survival. Absolutely. And I I think a lot of that also comes from, um, like, it could also be generational, in a sense, because there are a lot of people like older generations, let's say the boomer generations who are starting to retire now, but give us a lot of slack because we'd be quote unquote job hoppers, but not Mm -hmm. everyone is going to stay in a role or anything. You know, we're job hoppers where, you know, the divorce rate and, you know, all of these things, it's like all millennials fault. It's It's all our fault. Right. (laughs) But I think us as millennials and even, you know, Gen Z coming up, we are recognizing where there's unhappiness and we're wanting to break that and move on because yeah. we need happiness and harmony in our lives. We don't want to be tied to, whether it's a nine to five, like it doesn't really matter that piece. Like, you know, you don't want to be tied to a job where you're actually miserable and you're just staying for tenure. For what? As exactly. soon as you leave, yeah. they're going to find somebody else to take your place. That's how it works. Literally, that's how it yep. works because they still yep. have a business yep. to run, right? So sure, yep. you know, you want, you know, you want to be, have a, a good job and, you know, stay there and whatever. But if you are miserable, it's not good for you. Like, I don't care how much money you make. It doesn't make sense. And I, you know, go along that thought process is like, okay, well, if I recognize that I'm bringing it home, um, I can't keep my mind off of it. It's probably time to go. Uh, and that's okay. That's absolutely okay. I feel like that might be a radical thought in and of itself, Mm -hmm. considering how, I mean, I'll speak for myself, how I was raised, that is a radical idea. And that's something that I also vibe with. And I can't help but to think what it was like for people along the movement for, I don't even know uh, how to describe it, for Black people to be considered people. (laughs) I don't know. Like, how do I dumb it down to what everybody has tried to do? But I can't imagine these people that stand out, like Carter Woodson, who created Black History Month, just based on the idea that, no, we shouldn't just go day to day and not know about our history. That's crazy. Like, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to talk about what happened because no one else is going to talk about it. You know, like these, these ideas of, things can be different, things should be different. Like that might just be part of generational changes, you know? And you know what's interesting too in, in Black History Month is that I never learned about Carter G. Woodson. Me neither. Until, Not until doing some research for this. Yeah. And that is a shame because he's the reason why we know anything. Um, but I also think that the hard part about telling Carter G. Woodson's story is that you can't tell his story without talking about the toxic racism and you can't go, you can't talk about his story without talking about slavery right. and you can't talk about his story without explaining like yeah there was a time when black people weren't allowed to read or write exactly you know? like that is where this all stems from it, it was black even even our entertainment it stems from struggle so like everything and so it's hard for people to come around to talk. Um, I didn't know that you went to Kent State. And yes. it's interesting that you brought that up because Black History Month, as you mentioned before, was just Negro History Week. And then in the 60s, because of the Civil Rights Movement, the first big celebration of Black History Month in 1970 was at Kent State, 
that was what made it popular amongst young people. You know, they had they had uh, a big a lot of attention on them, I'll say. Mm. And that's what started getting things rolling to get to 1976 to say, you know what, everybody's going to do a month because the college campuses, starting with Kent State, were doing it. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Look, Kent State is, like I said, they're pressing the gas on that. Kent State is where I um, was my first like, true learning of Black history in terms of back to home continent africa mm. black history mm. um and over the different centuries you know and mm -hmm. so that was that was my first introduction into who we really are um yeah. which is great yeah and i remember specifically i don't remember his name but like you'll probably envision this he was probably about my height which is like five three five four black man with his like tiny little afro graying <laughs> hair <laughs> i i'm envisioning um sherman hemsley from the jeffersons oh my basically kind of <laughs> okay yeah that that's pretty accurate and um but so passionate and so knowledgeable about it which is really nice i love that yeah i don't i have yet to have i never got a chance to be taught um by a black person specifically about black history alone, oh, like African American studies. I have yet to do oh, that. Really? So yeah, Who was all my African American studies class. Didn't take one. I never had one. Oh, I had a okay. history, but um yeah, whenever I've learned about black history, it's been through my family or just on mm -hmm. my own, you know? Interesting. Like this. This is I've I've yeah. learned so much by learning about the history of Black History Month itself. I I remember a lot of the questions that I get being one of few black people in the room was why isn't there a white history month? Oh my god. <laughs> I don't think that question stopped until probably 2021. It's still a question. Yeah, absolutely. People are why isn't there a white history month? Because you already have the entire school system, the entire nation, <laughs> like basically the world, you know, like you have white history life. Yeah, <laughs> like, and also like before we even get into white history month let's talk about what white identity even is because a lot of you if if america had gone one way or the other if america wasn't so anti-black a lot of people wouldn't be considered white they wouldn't have gained the privileges of whiteness just because you're irish or italian or jewish like you got folded in because they needed numbers mm -hmm. you know against black people it's That's a so lot true. of that Mm -hmm. And then also there are heritage months all over the place. And I know they're not right. popular and I know that some of them are not government sanctioned quite like uh, black history month, but also keep in mind black people built America. And it wasn't until 1976 that we got <laughs> recognized that we could have 28 days to even right. think about us. So like, let's, let's reel in that white history month bullshit. I mean, we have Irish American history month in March which we know oh. and celebrate um, because- oh, Do you mean St. Patrick's Day? Well, that folds into it, but oh, okay. literally- I was there's, like, No, 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 it's, <laughs> it's actually a thing. Um, okay. There's Scottish American Heritage Month in April. There's uh, Jewish Heritage Month in May. Um, there's French American Heritage Month in July. There's all these different heritage, German Heritage Month in September. So don't, let's not, <laughs> let's not do the White History Month thing. It's but out there. It's interesting because there are like two different types of whiteness. So you mm. have like um, 
I mean this in the best way possible, my, but my ex-husband is, he's white, but he doesn't have like, I'm sure if he did a DNA test or whatever, he could like, you know, track to Germany or, you know, Scotland or whatever, you know, like those kinds of things or kinds of places, but there's no tradition or culture that is passed down that he celebrates. And I so see. you have people who are like truly Scottish and Irish and, you know, French, like you're mentioning and, you know, all of these um, things that are tied to culture. And so that makes sense to celebrate because you like, if, if you've done that, right. Like if you have incorporated that into your life from your parents and your grandparents, and you have like, you know, specific like Polish foods or, you know, like things like that, that makes sense in terms of, you know, visibly whiteness, but then you have like an associated country culture mm -hmm. but american white what y'all got like what is <laughs> and and that's the other part and then you know that's the other thing with uh with the the two types of white you know you have the the type that is tied to your actual bloodline heritage and where your people came from and you have the people who are not and the people who are not are often the people who are asking that question because they don't know about their heritage months because they don't have a connection with their heritage and then if you think about that type of person's heritage it's rooted in racism it's and rooted they're trying in to be colonizing like the the confederate flag this is our heritage <gasps> do you, you want know, that like, <laughs> right like are you sure you and it's want that? because you know that only lasted for like four years like the, the war lasted for four years with the civil war and um people are like, okay so y'all are holding on to that real strong but tell real them strong. to get over the enslavement period it doesn't work like that. my favorite thing that i've read about uh specifically um the rebel flag right the confederate flag is that people fly it so proudly but it 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 was over, it was shorter than the span of friends. Like you have so many things that like outlasted this thing that you are so tied to, tattooed on you, you know? And it's like, baby, that was four years. That was- like, They just want to be oppressed about something, but yeah, that's a whole other I get it. conversation for another time that we will not give any more breath to <laughs> yeah. um, because we're going to celebrate some um, incredible people in, in black history um american black history that we have recently lost which is such a tragedy um but first we're going to celebrate the iconic hank aaron who was a major league baseball legend nicknamed hammer who died at age of at the age of 86. hank aaron who held the second highest home run score of all time um he had 715 home runs for the Atlanta Braves um, on April 8th, 1974. That's when he broke the record to the legendary Babe Ruth, um, who had set that record 40 years earlier. And so obviously he has been an icon for um, Black Americans and especially in the baseball world where uh, people were so against him and saying, you know, Black people can't, you know, do this. They can't do things in the same way that white people can. And he actually received a ton of hate mail. Um, mm when uh, when he was playing for the Braves. And, and Aaron was nicknamed the Hammer or Hammer and Hank. Um, he was inducted to the into the Baseball's Hall of Fame in 1982 and was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President George W. Bush 20 years later.
That's pretty That's neat. Insane. I mean, he has an insane life. I admittedly don't know anything about sports ever. Oh. So I know I know of these people and in a brief researching, I found that he got his first professional contract in the Negro League. Mm. Maybe that's a, a duh statement and maybe not, oh. but it was in um, Indianapolis. Is it Indianapolis? Yes, it was Indianapolis and their team was called the Clowns. The Indianapolis Clowns. And the craziest thing is it was also, the team was also named the Ethiopian Clowns. Interesting. So I don't know where all that came from. I think that we could definitely dive into the Negro Leagues and and their history. But also an interesting fact about the Indianapolis Clowns is that they were one of the first uh, Negro League teams to bring on female players. So that is a whole whole part of their history that is interesting that's that's where i'll come in um, when it comes to sports history (laughs) to the sports welcome to sports (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean rest in peace he had a long wonderful life it was Mm -hmm. you know i'm sure that a lot of people um doing their best to commemorate him everybody ever i hope so at least Absolutely. I mean, he was born in 1934 and lived to 2021. So that's a, you know, 86 is not young. Um, But it's, it's definitely incredible what he's done and how he's paved the way, just like Mm -hmm. so many others. Um, And speaking of, you know, uh, Cicely Tyson also, which if y'all aren't familiar Mm -hmm. by name, you would know her from so many of the films that she's been in. It's like, Black America's grandmother in like all of the great films um, or TV shows, you know, How to Get Away with Murder more recently. um, She, um, she was Annalise's mother, um, where they had kind of a strange and a strange relationship. Um, she's also been in Cherish the Day, which is a TV series in 2020, um, A Fall from Grace, Madam Secretary, I mean, Rwanda Rising, she also played in uh, Medea's Family Reunion and Diary of a Mad Black Woman. And I mean, the list goes on. You have to check out her IMBD, but she has definitely been an incredible icon um, for the Black community in the in the space of, of film and TV. Um, she was discovered by a fashion editor at Ebony Magazine, and with her stunning looks, she was quick. She quickly rose to the top of the modeling industry. So it's interesting. She went from modeling and being an icon there, and then went into being an actress. But uh, you know, we certainly appreciate her for everything that she's done, and uh, you know, I'll miss her um, in film for sure. You know, and any you know upcoming ones, because I feel like she always had that like almost like this essence of like she's going to be around forever and ever yes yes and it's the same thing with like your Betty Whites where it's just Mm. like well this person has made it to 1000 years old Uh. and they are good to go (laughs) forever and they'll be on a stage and give an amazing speech at all times but Mm -hmm. you know there comes a time to expire and she's given the world so many gifts like you said in her films and her tv roles I mean in my childhood, it was, I definitely was one of the people who learned about her through the Tyler Perry films mm-hmm. and then did going back. But I mean, she's a legendary actress. She was nominated for um, the Best Actress Award for her role in Sounder in 1973, which was a historic year. I believe that um, Diana Ross was was up against her. So it was like a real Black year. Um, she's just, and she's always been 
down for the cause. You know, yeah. she's always been outspoken about sharing her story of blackness with the world. And she and Sidney Poitier and all these other legendary actors were kind of in a league of their own. And so when it comes to black folks who are mourning the loss of these people, we know that not only were they amazing actors, amazing celebrities and speakers and things like that, but they were also essentially our representatives in, in pop culture. So it's, you know, to have her be one of those representatives and have her do it for so long, it's just a huge thank you. You know, she's a wonderful, just a wonderful essence that we had in our world. And I don't think there's going to be another one like her, but I think there's going to be a lot of tributes to her. I sure hope so. I can't wait for the movie. I can't wait for the movie. Oh, here's, you know, here's one of her quotes. Um, I wait for roles first to be written for a woman, then to be written for a black woman. She told the entertainment news service in 1997. And then I have the audacity to be, to be selective about the kinds of roles I play. I really gotten, I really got three strikes against me. So aren't you amazed? I'm still here, which is so true, right? Like, you know, she definitely made it so far being um, a woman of color. And um, it's great that she's being selective about it. And to be so selective in, you know, spaces that aren't really meant for us or weren't, you know, created for us and, you know, paving that kind of way. Now, I I can't find the quote, but um, there was mention of um, how she realized that her work was beyond just for her. She realized that she was doing it for other people, right? And that's what we really appreciate about uh, the people in these spaces that are doing these kinds of work and paving the way um, or this kind of work and paving the way because it it really is creating such a difference and that's why we celebrate you know black history month and um we want to say celebrate everything that those before us have done up the river or down the river absolutely absolutely (laughs) i love the way you tied that together absolutely she's I mean, we have to be thankful for our storytellers that we have mm-hmm. and while they're here. It kind of breaks my heart that she did all the work that she did. And she never was recognized, I guess, in the way that I think of iconic actresses being recognized through awards, through just this, you know how Meryl Streep has this otherness about her like she's an extraterrestrial and the rest of her co-stars are just actors like (laughs) somehow (laughs) somehow we have amazing ass Cicely Tyson being if not more talented at least as talented as these extraterrestrial artists and just because of her blackness I think getting dodged roles you know she's getting pushed off the board when it comes to nominations and award giving and i wish that people had given her her flowers more mm-hmm. while she was alive and in, in, in her um i guess golden years you know yeah. around that sounder time you think about people like um Halle Berry, who won a whole Oscar, and the next project that she gets is Catwoman. And, you know, you see this trend. <laughs> yeah. You see this trend where it's like, that's enough. You got right. your shine. That's enough. And she really did persevere. You know, she didn't. She didn't rest. Cicely Tyson. She mm-hmm. was acting, and she got um, you know career achievements awards and things like that. Even in 2020, she was getting career achievement awards mm-hmm. because I think people looking back are like, we did her dirty. So mm-hmm. I hope. And I pray that the Cicely Tysons that we have, looking at you, Viola Davis, 
get your flowers now. Mm-hmm. Like get I your flowers her. now. I don't want people to look back, you know? Absolutely. And I, I mean, that's a lot of what I think we have learned. Um, and maybe it's as we grow up or maybe as we have lost these wonderful people, you know, even, even in the anniversary of Kobe's passing, um, you know, that was kind of the start of a horrible 2020, but, um, that was exactly it. Cause you know, he was so young, but it's, you know, being able to honor people just like you mentioned who are doing these incredible things while they can still smell the roses and um know that we appreciate them so much i think maybe things like understanding that people like cicely tyson has have been um overlooked and in the scope of uh, the active awarding and active, you know, giving of accolades. Like, yeah, there's all these commemorative things that you can give for, you know, past works and stuff. But I hope that looking at the fact that we're giving this lady awards in 2020 when she's 96 years old, when she did the work when she was 30, Mm -hmm. people are smelling what's wrong in Denmark and trying to better do things better now you know we still have Beyonce losing to Beck don't want to talk about it right now but we see it and so I think there's improvement to be done but as we move forward through our Black History acknowledgments I hope that we're able to look around us like you and I especially like look around us at 2020 and say wow I'm in the midst of Black history and this person's important and this person's Mm -hmm. important and we can't forget them because I don't want these amazing people that we see right now to go the way of Carter Woodson and be forgotten. Absolutely. And what would be your, what is your vision or your desire for Black History Month moving forward? Honestly, I would love for it to be something, oh my God, this is going to sound awful. I have to rewind. So I remember, obviously, Black History Month, years and years of schooling and that being a part of the curriculum and things like that. But I remember probably at nine or 10, noticing the McDonald's program, you know, 365 Black. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you remember this? No, I don't remember that. So yeah, McDonald's introduced a program called, I think it was called 365 Black. Actually, you know what? I have a Googler. Let's see. (laughs) (laughs) McDonald's 365. Yeah, it's called 365 Black. And the program is basically to highlight Black achievement, Black positivity, Black joy across um, all parts of the year, not just February. And I remember mm-hmm. when I started hearing commercials for that or seeing things about it, I'd even get like pamphlets and things like that. Um, I, and I was thinking, why isn't this normal? And why is this standing out? You know, so I think my personal wish for Black History Month is to go the Black 365 route and just have Mm -hmm. Black history become part of the foundation of America because Black people are the foundation of America. And I know that Black history isn't just an American thing, but I definitely think from an American's perspective, we're really shortcut here on the people and the events of our lives. Like, I didn't know about uh, the Tulsa massacre until I watched the first episode of Watchmen in 2019. Mm. 
that's mm-hmm. kind of messed up. Like I think about all the time I spent in a classroom and I never heard about it. You know, mm-hmm. I think we have to start hearing about it year round. Look at the people who are making history right now, no matter how disappointing it is that they're the first black person to do something in 2021, whatever. Acknowledge them, track them, follow them. You know, I want to see the growth of them. Imagine the people who got a chance to grow up with Angela Davis, seeing how she was in 1970 to to 2021. You know, that's probably an amazing journey that we get to watch. And we have a few of those, but I want more of those. That's my, that's my wish for Black History Month. What about you? No, I, I agree um, that it needs to be, it should be all around, you know, it should be incorporated into our schools. There should be um, you know, the true history and um, beauty of of Blackness in taught in schools. And so it's not something that you have to go searching for. You just have the one month. I think that it should be beyond that um, without necessarily, like, I don't think the goal is to get rid of Black History Month. It's to expand it into the rest of the year. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like, maybe, I not that I don't love it right now, but I do get on like Netflix or whatever other streamer and I see the Black Voices section <laughs> everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's all like, here, watch 12 Years a Slave. It's like, wait, well, yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily what Black people need. Um, so I would love for the Black voices to just be many and buried and integrated into every other genre. So maybe right. I can see and hear Black people's thoughts and, and visions and ideas, all of that, without having to retrace the trauma that like white people can handle hearing about in a two-hour format. You know what I'm saying? Like, exactly. I just want to, I just want it to become a part of our culture outside of being something like special and highlighted with African dancing in corporate buildings. (laughs) Right, right. We can just, we can just learn about Black people too. Exactly. I, I actually, that made me think that I wish that if we got to the point where Black History Month was just ingrained in our culture as Americans and just ingrained in the education system as a foundational thing that people need to know, um, if February was was going to be commemorated as a heritage month still, um, I wish that during this month we talked more and more about Black genealogy and there were programs that mm-hmm. could help people get in touch with their roots like mm-hmm. I was adopted right and so that is a sever for a lot of information and in the 80s there was a lot of adoption going on of black kids because there was a crack epidemic mm-hmm. and single parents that couldn't raise you know so there's a lot of people that need services that can't afford the services and I know that we have 23andMe and we have Ancestry and da 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 but that's just not something that people are able to put on their plate right now so I wish that there was something large scale that got people their genealogy their history their you know who they are and where they come from that would be awesome right I agree and and it would be nice to easily be able to track it mm-hmm. and maybe even some steps on like if you might be interested in incorporating what that heritage is into who you are or you know yeah. maybe 
you know, that kind of thing without, again, culturally appropriating. Right, right. And without hopefully bringing up trauma for a third grader that's like, yay, you won, like, you're mm-hmm. third grade, now you get your genealogy thing. Right. Here's all this awful shit that happened to make you here. <laughs> it's like, Ugh. But, I mean, I still think it's it's beneficial. I wish that it was something that Black people had. Readily so, available. Like, yeah, readily available. Something government-sponsored, maybe. Like right. something that you could just pull up and say, this is your family tree based on this, this, and this. That'd be awesome. So something I learned about Black History Month in preparation for this podcast that I did not know was that every year officially each Black History Month has a theme. And I found a list of themes that date back uh, to 1928, I want to believe. Yeah. Um, And they change. And I just highlighted a few of them that stood out to me. Um, In 1929, the theme of Black History Month was titled Possibility of Putting Negro History in the Curriculum. Um, 1929? 1929, the second year they even had a theme for Black History. And we're like 100 years later, and it's not late. And it's a lot of that, if you look through the whole list, which you can find. You can find the whole list on ASALH.org, and that stands for the Associate... Association for the Study of African American Life and History, which was founded in 1915, which was founded by Carter G. Woodson, who started Negro History Week, which is now Black History Month. So you could say that this group is where everything began. Absolutely. Um, Another one of the... Go ahead. Sorry. Another one of the themes was 1946, Let Us Have Peace. Oh, my God. 1968, the centennial of the 14th Amendment, Afro-American History Week. I believe that 1968 is the first time you see Afro-American used. Mm. And for those that don't know about the 14th Amendment, that was basically where um, people who were African-Americans or slaves who had been emancipated after the Civil War were recognized as Americans, mm-hmm. as full Americans, not just three-fifths. Um, there's 1974, Helping America Understand, which honestly feels very 2020 to me. Right. Um, 1996 theme was Black Women. 2014 okay. was Civil Rights in America. And the 2020 theme was African Americans and the Vote. So Wow. Yeah, it's very interesting. I'm not sure what this year's theme was. Yeah. Oh, this year's theme is the Black family, representation, identity, and diversity. Mm. So I didn't know that there were themes. That is such a, an interesting factoid um, that I wanted to share with folks. And maybe that'll help kind of guide the way that people celebrate Black History Month on their own. That's so helpful because I really had no idea that there were themes to it. Who knew? Well, now we know. Now we know. So now we're at the Weekly Faith and Humanity Restored segment of the show where we give back where you can by supporting businesses that incorporate giving from sales to charities or donating directly to the source, a dollar or a share, it all counts. 
obviously in light of Black History Month and the incredible work the Association for the Study of African American Life and History had been founded upon by Carter G. Woodson, we want to continue to celebrate them as well and be able to support the cause. So their uh, mission statement here is, we continue his legacy of speaking a fundamental truth to the world that Africans and peoples of African descent are makers of history in what W.E.B. Du Bois called the kingdom of culture. ASALH's mission is to create and disseminate knowledge about Black history to be, in short, the nexus between the ivory tower and the global public. We labor in the service of Blacks in all humanity. Their website is asalh.org. I will put that in the show notes, but by all means, if you can support, share it, donate to it, whatever you can. We appreciate your support um, of the podcast and being able to support them. I love this, Jonathan. Like, this is great. I feel like we learn <laughs> so much per year. I mean, insane amount of learning. And it's, again, that feeling of, I wish I had known this before, mixed with, I am so happy that I know this now. You know? It's almost like we could have called this podcast uh, series better late than never (laughs) (laughs) i mean it would be appropriate absolutely definitely well we really appreciate you all joining us for another episode of the now we know series branch of real relatable podcast you can follow us on instagram at real relatable podcast or my instagram handle is at donna janine also shoot us a message at real relatable podcast at gmail.com if you have any thoughts or input we'd love to hear it please be sure to rate review and subscribe to the podcast if you're listening on apple Podcasts, or share it with a friend or colleague or family anyone who might be able to benefit from this conversation. And until next time, be sure to keep it real and stay relatable. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.